0: I don't have any witty banter this week because I've been stuck in Taylor Swift's world and there's nothing witty about Taylor Swift.
1: What if Taylor listens? Now you've just turned her off.
0: No, Taylor Swift wouldn't listen to us. She's way too cool for us. Welcome to An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim.
1: And my name is Steve.
0: And I that would be, I like Taylor Swift. She seems like a genuinely nice, person and she actually does seem very witty so i'm sure that actually in taylor swift's or taylor's version of reality it's it's not all sad but she released re-released an album and it's sad and it's every time i turn on anything on my phone there's taylor swift so my mind is kind of melted okay because (laughs) i've been overwhelmed with taylor swift i'm
1: sure that all our listeners are very witty and very educated and they know lots of things you can win at trivia our winner our listeners win at trivia
0: that is something that we did this week we did go back and play trivia we haven't done that in a while and we took third place out of four (laughs) out
1: of four yeah but to be fair we always do well on trivia when it is um General knowledge. Yeah, this, this was, was very specific. It was
0: Shits Creek trivia. And 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 we knew that it was Shits Creek trivia. And we studied beforehand. Yeah, we but did. we we cracked <laughs> under pressure. Well, I I studied beforehand and I but cracked they, under pressure. They
1: asked Sarah G asked some really off the wall questions that you wouldn't have known unless you were specifically looking for.
0: But I, I know that because I have played trivia with her for years and years. And so like, I know her brand of question. And so I was like, Oh, I bet she's going to ask this. And sure enough, she did. And sure enough, I had Googled the answer before trivia. I was not Googling during, during the thing. So Sarah, if you're listening, I was not cheating. But as soon as it, it was like when somebody asks you a question too quickly and you know the answer, but somebody asks you a question and it's gone.
1: It only gets worse with time.
0: Oof. So okay. we uh, but failed. But
1: generally, we do very well at general knowledge. But we had a really good team when we would go down to Fifth Street Brew Pub and play trivia. But I don't want to talk unfortunately, about it. some of our team moved off to Nashville. I don't want to talk about Some it. of our team moved down to Cincinnati. Ugh. Some of our team moved out to. Uh, Houston, Texas. And it just they're just a, and then COVID hit. It's of so traders. it all hit about the same time. Bunch
0: yeah. of traitors. False friends. That's what they are. False anyway, friends. Anyway. Anyway.
1: Full moon. Mm-hmm. I'm smoking a turkey right now for our office potluck tomorrow and it looks really good.
0: Are you gonna bring home leftovers?
1: Yeah. If the boss doesn't
0: take oh. them all like he did oh. last year. You and I can say
1: that because I know he doesn't listen are to this podcast. Are you sure
0: he doesn't listen?
1: I'm pretty Pretty sure. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, tonight... Are you
0: ready to get started? Yeah. Like, for we, real, they're probably tired of listening yeah. to us at this, point. <laughs> at this point. Just go back and forth. This is another one of those episodes where history keeps on repeating itself, and the more things change, the more they stay the same.
1: And oh, yeah. That. Well, they kind of change, but at this period of time, yeah, it was really... And we'll we talk about that at the end. Yeah, But in this episode, we are headed back to the hills of Appalachia to bring you the story of the Battle of Maitwan, or as it's sometimes known, the Maitwan Massacre.
0: I had never heard of Maitwan or the Maitwan Massacre, and were I to... Maitwan sounds like a Vietnamese name. Like no. It sounds like a a name of a place that you would find in Vietnam. So i I wonder if it was you know the founder of the town was named Mate Wan or it something. This is
1: just up the Tug River from uh, from uh, Kermit, West Virginia, which <laughs> is right across the river from where my family is from. But this is another story of coal mines, unions, and the companies that owned those mines. Now it will have a similar theme. And similar themes to Bloody Harlan, which we've always we've already covered in Kentucky, and the story we told about the jail in Carbon County, Pennsylvania, and the Molly Maguires, mm-hmm. and that wasn't that long ago. Nope. All of which have the roots in the bitter and the violent struggles between the miners and the companies. But while the overall themes are the same, the individual story, and that's what's really cool about this, that, you know, this was going on all over, like the eastern part in the coal fields, but there are just so many really different, unique stories about this that um, I, I want to tell these stories because not everyone's heard of the Matewan massacre, yeah, but I it's, mean, a, it's a big deal there. It. So I personally find them really, really interesting. And I think it's an important part of our American history. And it just so happens, as I said, that my family is from Appalachia, Eastern Kentucky, and maybe that's why I find these stories so interesting.
0: I I think they're interesting because they are, it just goes to show how much human nature doesn't really change much. Um, but you can drive back to Eastern Kentucky and see the old coal camps and the company stores that are still standing um, but I mean, they're not being used anymore. Some of them actually are well, being used. Well, people are using ex- them for other
1: pur- they re- reasons. They've yes. been repurposed.
0: Yeah. So some of them actually are still like general stores. Um, sometimes you will find people living in the old coal houses, but a lot of times they're they're just kind of left to rot, essentially. Yeah. Um, but they're still there to be seen. They're nestled in among the steep mountains, uh, which are called hollers, alongside creeks that are prone to flood, which is another reason why some of them, you know, they don't necessarily fare very well, because if the creek rises, you're just going to wash them away. But family, in in this part of the nation, family ties and bonds are really close, um, and that isolation can be both a blessing and a curse. So, besides the coal, we've talked about the Hatfields and the McCoys, which I'm sure we will eventually cover at some point. Well, it all
1: happened in this this same area, within 20, 30 miles of each other, yes. where this happened. Pikeville, Kentucky, the Hatfields and McCoys, Bloody Harlem. We're going to talk about away. one of
0: one of the more distant Hatfields today. Yep. Um, in episode twenty seven, we brought you the amazing true story of courage and survival of a frontier lady who is. Uh, you know, has ties to your family named Jenny Wiley. Episode 92 is the story of Bloody Harlan. Um, And then we are going to talk today about the Battle of Matewan. So One day we're
1: going to say in episode 108. Huh? As we refer back, we'll say episode Uh, 108.
0: Is that what this is?
1: This is episode 108. I don't even
0: know what number we're on. (laughs) Well, let's get into the story.
1: All right. So the Battle of Matewan was a shootout in the town of Matewan, West Virginia, in the county of Mingo, so Mingo County, West Virginia, and the Pocahontas Coalfield Mining District in southern West Virginia. And it, it all happened on May 19th, 1920, between the local coal miners and their allies, the Baldwin-Feltz Detective Agency. So here's how it went down in the events that led up to this shootout. Now, during this period, the miners worked long hours in unsafe and dismal working conditions while being paid very low wages. And we've heard this before. Oh, yeah. The same thing with Carbon County, with Harlan County. And that's why all this, that's the root of all this trouble. Money.
0: It's all about the money.
1: The United Mine Workers had just elected John L. Lewis as their president. John was a no nonsense and not afraid to get into a fight type guy. And we talked about him in the uh, the Bloody Harland episode. So if you need a little refresher, you can go back. Don't Google it. Go back and listen to our Bloody Harland episode to yeah. learn about John L. Yeah. But adding to the hardship was the use of coal script by the Stone Mountain Coal Company. Again, same thing, because the script could only be used for the goods at the company store, which was very often overpriced and just... you. you 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 got paid in script, so you had to shop at the company store.
0: Now you might know this. I, uh, do you know if like all of the company stores had the same goods? So like let's say that you lived in town A and like coal town A, and you your your coal camp store was out of bubblegum, but then I don't know, maybe ten miles down the road was coal camp B and owned by the same people, could you go there and spend your script no, if they are owned by the would, same company? No,
1: maybe. I don't know if it was the same company script. but uh,
0: Or the, if they all had the same stuff. Like maybe if your camp was sold out of bubblegum, but the other camp had bubble gum as long as you were owned by the same company. The company store? Yeah.
1: I imagine you could, but...
0: I wonder if that ever happened. That's something that I never really thought about until we were doing this episode. And yeah, I, I, I mean, wonder if you I don't could, know if
1: the same coal company had different minds and they used the same script here yeah. and there. I don't know. Huh. Don't know. But I'm sure that it was the basics. Beans, oh, sure. lard. Yeah. Flour. Yep. Meat.
0: Maybe a little calico if you're feeling frisky.
1: Whatever. Yeah.
0: A few months before the battle at Mate 1, Union miners and other parts. Of I mean, the-
1: it wasn't the Kroger marketplace. No. Okay.
0: No. Anyway, the Union miners in other parts of the country went on strike, receiving a full 27% pay increase for their efforts. Now, Lewis recognized that the area was ripe for change and planned to organize the coal fields of southern Appalachia. The union sent its top organizers, including the famous Mary Harris Mother Jones. Now, a little bit about Mother Jones for some context. Essentially, she is the American version of Molly Maguire. Mary G. Harris Jones records show that she was baptized in 1837 and died on November 30th, 1930. Um, I'm guessing that there was no birth record, so they just recorded the baptism date.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm guessing too.
0: Known as Mother Jones from 1897 onwards, she was an Irish-born American schoolteacher and dressmaker who became a prominent union organizer, community organizer, and activist. She helped coordinate major strikes and co-founded the Industrial Workers of the World. After Jones' husband and four children all died of yellow fever in 1867, and her dress shop was destroyed by the Chicago Fire of 1871, which is another good story for us to research. Yo, we'll
1: have to get into that one. One of these days. I read a book about that, and it's <laughs> really interesting. Was it the cow? I I'm, we're, we're no, no spoiler enough. alerts. Okay. okay.
0: Uh, anyway, after after she lost her husband Mrs. and her o- children all in one year. That's crazy. All four children and her husband. Can you imagine? Yeah. And then just a couple years later, she lost her dress shop. So oh, yeah.
1: Was it Mrs. O'Leary's cow? The fire? Yeah. I
0: don't know. We're not on that subject. Okay. Ugh. Anyway. Um, she became an organizer for the Knights of Labor and the United Minor Workers Union. In 1902, she was called the most dangerous woman in America for her success in organizing mine workers and their families against the mine owners. Maybe?
1: Yeah, as close as I (laughs) hit. In
0: 1903, to protest the lax enforcement of the child labor laws in Pennsylvania mines and silk mills, remember, you could... There were kids as young as five doing work for the mines, Um, So, I mean, these are little bitty kids. She organized a children's march from Pennsylvania to the home of President Theodore Roosevelt in New York. And I um, don't know if she actually marched with children because I know quite a few children and I can't picture oh, any they of them they marching been, from Philadelphia to New York without whining They would have been whining
1: the whole way. Ooh. Could you imagine the temper tantrums? Oh,
0: my gosh. But anyway, so that's Mother Jones. Yeah. Well, I um, bet- she also, isn't Mother Jones the name of like a, like a newspaper or something now? I think something there's like that, yeah. something like that. I think it's very- Mother um, Earth- no, Mother, I think it's Mother Jones, but I, yeah. I think it's one of, It's kind of a fringy kind of a publication, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Well,
1: I bet she was just Miss Popular back in her day.
0: Uh, yeah. Okay, but I back mean, to the
1: story. So roughly 3,000 miners signed the union's roster in the spring of 1920. They signed their union cards at the community church something that they knew that could cost them their jobs. I mean, they knew when they signed these cards that they were putting their jobs and their livelihood and their families at risk, but it was it was that important to them. And in many cases, they could also lose their homes because they're living in the
0: in the coal, in, camps. In the
1: coal camps. Yeah. The coal companies controlled many aspects of the miners' lives, like we've mentioned in this episode and other episodes, and it was no different here. Stone Mountain Coal Corporation fought back with mass firings harassment, and evictions. The town of Matewan, which was founded in 1895, now it was a small independent town with only a few elected officials, Mayor Testerman, who becomes key in this, and Sid, the chief of police, who becomes really big in this story. Now, when we say an independent town, it me- that means it was a, a regular town. It wasn't a coal company product like Wright uh Wheelwright, Kentucky, which the, the, the coal company came in it. and built a town, the high school, the pools, the bowling alley. They did it all. And th- that was a good example is everything I can tell that, you know, it was
0: it kind of well. like a model yeah. of how
1: it should be. But
0: but this was already there. Mate One was already there. Yeah, it was it
1: was a regular town. They
0: just maybe made it yeah. a little bit bigger. Um which and something else that I've always kind of wondered about this is the we say that it's a, a you know an independent town, but th- it's not big. Like no, these just- towns are tiny. And if there are mass firings, where are they getting replacements? Where are they getting replacement workers? Because there are only so many people in the town. And so if they fire everybody, where are they going to get replacements from? I- That's what I've always wanted. I've never understood that. Anyway, we're going to take another little pause to tell you a little bit about Sid. The chief of police, because he is a really colorful character and he is Sid
1: Hatfield here. He is
0: like the most important part of the story, I think. And the conspiracy theory that goes along with the story, because of course, an hour of your life, we I Steve can't have a story without a conspiracy in it. Um, so Sid Hatfield was born in Blackberry, which is in Pike County, Kentucky. He was the tenth of twelve children, of whom nine survived infancy. So a pretty good group of kids. His father, he was one of those Hatfields. And so this is his lineage. His father, Jacob Hatfield, was a tenant farmer. His mother was Rebecca Crabtree. His grandfather was Jeremiah Hatfield, who was a half-brother to Valentine Hatfield, who was the grandfather of Devil Lance Hatfield. So essentially, Sid was Devil Lance's, like, great-grand-nephew or something like that.
1: Sounds like the chapter in the Bible with all the begetting yeah. and the begetting and all the lineage right here.
0: Yeah. So he he is, Sid Hatfield is purebred from Devil Lance, eventually like from that branch of the family.
1: Of which my great-grandfather spent the night with.
0: Right. As a child, Sid worked on his father's farm. He became a miner in his teens and then worked as a blacksmith for several years he received his nickname, "Smiling Sid, because and of the the gold a, caps on several of his upper teeth.
1: There's old Smiling Sid.
0: Yeah. He seems to have had a reputation for hard living and fighting, which, I mean, duh, he's a Hatfield. And his appointment in 1919 to the post of police chief of Matewan by the mayor named Cable Cornelius Testerman surprised some of the more respectable town folk. However, he was a staunch supporter of the United Mine Workers of America, as was Mayor Testerman, and together they were instrumental in leading the mining community's resistance to the Baldwin Feltz operatives, who we'll get to in a second. For example, the Coal Company operatives offered both men substantial bribes to allow them to station machine guns in the town, and Hatfield and Testerman both refused, so they, even though he was kind of a rough and ready, kind of rum and rough and tumble kind of guy, he had morals and he had his principles. And I'd, he was not a sellout.
1: I don't think that rough and tumble and wanting to fight, I don't think that was so uncommon
0: oh, no. of the
1: people back in the day there.
0: And especially in this part of the country, you had to be rough because a lot of this was, it's still, still, even today there, it's some rough country. There are, uh, it's very steep, um, I say mountainous terrain. It's not like the Rockies or anything, but there are some pretty sheer drop-offs that you, and lots of lumber, lots of, um, you know, there's wild animals. There were bears back at the time. There's not so many now, but there are bears. There were, um, I believe there might've been elk. There's still an elk herd out there. There's still elk out there, yeah. Um, So you had to be a little rough. Yeah, because those elk
1: are really mean.
0: Well, they can charge at you. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you had to you had to be able to make your own way. So But I,
1: I look at like the metal of the people. So let's take the average coal miner risking his life in very very tough conditions mining coal. And I mean, you just got to kind of picture the type of men that these were that you know that Yeah. They they were rough and tough and tumble and when they came out of the mines, they didn't just like, "Well, we'll leave all that in the mine and come out here and
0: Right. Do this. And in their wives, I mean, Had to this be woman, just as tough. Yeah, had 12 children, of whom nine survived. Um, so, I mean, you know that they, they had a lot of kids because they were going to lose a lot of kids, either in the mines or in childbirth. They had to make do with very little. They mm. had to all be kind of resourceful.
1: The, the pill wasn't invented either, so-
0: well, no, but that was—I mean—the more children you had, the more yeah. more hands like just, make lighter work.
1: I was just making a joke.
0: That was a bad joke. Okay. So, I mean, uh, these people, but are, the women had
1: to be resourceful too, absolutely. with what little they had. Yeah, oh, you had to, to stretch to make it. to make the clothes for the kids, to clothes, to food, cook, and stretch.
0: Absolutely. That
1: company script, yeah. They—I yeah. mean, they were tough women too, as tough as the men were. The
0: people of Appalachia are very—they're. And they're still
1: resourceful.
0: I, yeah. I think even now, you know, even in the 21st century, it really, and we've talked about this back when we've gone to visit before, that sometimes it doesn't feel like a lot has changed. And in then, certain, I in mean, in certain places, in certain places. And now we do hear about this like, yeah, okay, obviously there's not coal camps anymore and all of that kind of thing. But as far as the mentality, it's still pretty politics Uh, can still get really pretty cutthroat and your family name matters.
1: Yeah. And still, you know, these people are going down in the mines and working, you know, granted, you know, there's a lot more safety and there's a lot more now, but it's still,
0: it's still very dangerous. I think it,
1: I think it is listed as like the most dangerous job in the United States. I would have to verify that, but it is, if it's 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 not, it's up there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, We'll get back to Sid later. We're, we're really getting off topic, but, <laughs> but I'm passionate about all this stuff right I, here. You are. So with both the mayor and Sid refusing to bow down to the company's plans and them siding with the miners, the Stone Mountain Coal Corporation hired their own muscle, the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency, dubbed the Baldwin Thugs by the miners. The coal operators hired them to evict miners and their families from the company-owned houses. And as a result, hundreds of miners' families spent the spring of 1920 in tents. The tent city city was known as Stony Mountain Camp Tent Colony.
0: And that's the resourcefulness that we were talking about. All right, we don't have a house, we got a tent.
1: Yep. So on the day of the fight, a group of the Baldwin Felton forces arrived in Matewan on the number 29 morning train to evict more families living in Stone Mountain Coal Camp just on the outskirts of Matewan. The detectives carried out several evictions before they ate dinner at the Urias Hotel, and after they finished dinner, they walked back to the train, well, towards the train depot to catch the 5 o'clock train back to Bluefield, West Virginia. The sheriff and his deputy, Fred Burgraff, sensed trouble coming, and along with the Mate 1 chief of police, Sid Hatfield, who we've talked about, Sid claimed to have arrest warrants for the detectives, And they intercepted the detectives near the train station.
0: Now, while all of this was happening, the news of the eviction soon spread around the town.
1: It's a small town.
0: And unbeknownst to the detectives, they had been surrounded by armed miners who watched intently from the windows, the doorways, the roofs of the businesses that lined Main Street.
1: I can close my eyes and just picture this. Uh,
0: And when Sid Hatfield approached Feltz... Feltz turned it around and served a warrant on Hatfield, which had been issued by Squire R.M. Stanford, a justice of the peace of Magnolia District, Mingo County, West Virginia, for the arrest of Hatfield and others. So um, basically, Sid Hatfield's like, I got a warrant for your arrest. And Feltz is like, no, I got a warrant for your arrest. That warrant was directed to Albert C. Feltz for execution. Now, apparently things were still... Pretty calm at this time because they all went to the mayor to presumably settle who was going to get arrested that day.
1: <laughs> A tombstone, I don't think you're going to arrest me today.
0: Oh. Upon inspection of the warrant, Maywan Mayor Cable Testerman claimed it was fraudulent, the warrant against Sid. Sheriff Burgraft's son had stirred the pot by reporting that the detectives had submachine guns with them in their suitcases.
1: Troublemaker. I wish I knew how old the boy was. Oh.
0: So Hatfield, Burgraff, and Mayor Cable Testerman met with the detectives and somehow they all ended up on the porch of the Chambers hardware store.
1: Now, it is still unknown whether it was Hatfield or Detective Albert Feltz who shot Testerman first. Whoever and whatever and who shot who, this is when the bullets really started flying. Now, to the best that can be determined, Hatfield shot Feltz Later, Thomas Feltz and the Baldwin Feltz spy Charles Lovely spread rumors that Sid shot Testerman because he had feelings for his wife. Now, this is where the mm-hmm. scandal starts brewing. and
0: We'll get back we'll, to that. Yeah, we'll
1: get back to the scandal. We'll get back to that. More on Sid later and the scandal later.
0: Now, after the detective and the mayor fell wounded, Sid kept firing, but Feltz escaped. And he took shelter in the Matewan post office where Sid Hatfield eventually found him and shot him. When the shooting finally stopped, the townspeople came out. Many of them were wounded and there were casualties on both sides. Seven Baldwin <laughs> there Felt's, was a lot
1: of lead flying oh, that I town. can
0: imagine. Seven Baldwin-Felts detectives were killed, including Albert and Lee Feltz. One more detective had been wounded. Two miners were killed. Bob Mullins, who had just been firing... Fired for joining the union, and taught Tinsley, an unarmed bystander. The wounded mayor was dying, and four other bystanders had been wounded.
1: Well, when the bullets stopped flying and the dust had settled, and we're talking a couple days later, Governor John J. Cornwell ordered the state police to take control of Matewan. Hatfield and his men cooperated and stacked their arms inside the hardware store. The miners, though, they were encouraged by the success in getting the Baldwin Phelps detectives out of Mate 1 because they were thinking it really improved their chances and their efforts and helped their efforts to organize the, the union. So on July 1st, the miners' union went on another strike and more widespread violence again erupted. Railroad, railroad cars were blown up, strikers were beaten and left to die by the side of the road, the violence progressed to the point that President Woodrow Wilson decided he better send in the National Guard to restore order and help maintain the peace in little old Mate Juan, West Virginia. Things eventually got so out of hand to the point that martial law had to be put in place and federal troops had to get involved. So Wilson ordered federal troops in to help keep the peace. Yeah. So, I mean, picture how big this is getting.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you think back to recent... Events over the last few years, it's, you know, riots in our country are nothing new. Um, Now, you can't have that much shooting and seven dead detectives without some accountability. So a trial was held on January 26th, 1921, and it ended March 19th, 1921, with all defendants being acquitted of all charges. Innocent. Now, of course, that didn't go over so well with the Veltz crowd.
1: The Matewan tragedy, along with the events such as the Ludlow Massacre in Colorado six years earlier, marked an important turning point in the battle for miners' rights. Now, the Ludlow Massacre was another bloody shootout, another bloody shootout.
0: There's so many.
1: Perpetrated by anti-strike militia during the Colorado Cold Field War. Soldiers from the Colorado National Guard and private guards employed by... Uh, Colorado Fuel and Iron Company attacked a tent colony of roughly 1,200 striking coal miners and their families in Ludlow, Colorado on April 20, 1914. Approximately 21 people there were killed, including miners, wives, and children. John D. Rockefeller Jr., who was a part owner of the Colorado Fuel and Iron Company, who had recently appeared before a United States congressional hearing on the strikes, was generally blamed. For having set the massacre in motion.
0: So it's it's just the rich keep getting richer. Now let's go back to Sid and the controversy surrounding him and who shot the mayor. Because <laughs> remember, um, Mayor Testman, nobody, he, he got shot. And nobody's really sure who shot him. First. First. <laughs> yeah, he probably got shot by a lot of people. Now on June 2nd, 1920... Only 12 days How after- How many days? 12. 12 days after the shootout and the death of the mayor, Sid married Jesse Lee in Huntington, West Virginia. <laughs> Why the snare drum, you ask? Because Jesse Lee was the widow of the dead mayor. Whoa. Yeah. So to add a little more spice to the story, they were married the morning after being arrested in a hotel room together having been charged with improper relations.
1: I wonder who ratted on him. Mm-hmm. Okay, snitches get stitches.
0: Or, you know, uh, married. Uh, this led to an attempted arrest of Sid and accusations by Thomas Feltz and Charles Lively that Sid, not Albert Feltz, had shot the mayor because of his desire for Jesse. However, according to Jesse... The mayor had been aware of the danger that their situation was. You know, the, he, the mayor knew that they were on dangerous ground. And he had asked his friend Sid to take care of her and their young son, Jackson, of should course. he be killed.
1: Of course.
0: So, I mean, so so this is a conversation between John, a recorded conversation in court between John Hennan and Dixie Accord were two townspeople that testified at the trial regarding the possibility that Sid Hatfield could have shot Mayor Testerman.
1: John says, okay, one less question and we will catch the news. What is your reaction to the charge that Sid Hatfield shot Mayor Testerman?
0: And Dixie says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He could have been shot accidentally. It was never proven who shot him. Of course they made a story out of that because he later... Later, married his wife, and but I think out of sympathy that he, uh, that was all out of sympathy. That uh, I, I can't see that. I can't see Sid Hatfield, uh, if if he'd wanted her, he'd have took her right on out in front of him. Now he wouldn't have had to kill him. He's that type of a man. He wouldn't have done that. But he he might have been, in my opinion, that Testerman was shot accidentally, like Todd Tinsley was okay so you see I I wonder what Sid Hatfield looked like you kind of just pictures is he is he a looker I, you, I you can decide get, that I always think of the Hatfield gang at like that whole family as being sort of ladies men and so I, and I don't necessarily have anything to base that on I just in my mind I always picture them as like the smooth talking ladies men. And so it, it wouldn't surprise me if Sid Hatfield was semi handsome, at least for that era. And so everybody was kind of on his side.
1: Google it up real quick. All right, let's see. Okay. Let me see what he looks like. The battle given Hatfield a degree of celebrity. He appeared in a short film, smile and Sid for the United mine workers and was photographed with other United mine workers, activists, activists, including Mary Harris or Mother Jones. However, he was aware that his life was in danger from Phelps, who sought vengeance for his brothers Albert and Lee. Now, as we mentioned, Sid was indicted on murder charges stemming from the Matewan shootout, but as we just told you, he was acquitted by the jury.
0: All right. So, side note: Google search reveals that he's not bad looking as long as he keeps his mouth shut. Um, we had he had those gold teeth. He had, and he when had you a you grill going on right like there. He has a grill. But he's, he actually, he's not that bad looking. Little, I wonder how
1: he lost his teeth. A
0: little thin, but Probably he's. Probably in a fight. Yeah, he's not bad looking. Anyway, now Sid was set to stand trial f- with his friend and deputy, Edward Chambers, on conspiracy charges for another incident in Welch, West Virginia. The conspiracy charges were based on an incident in Mohawk, located in McDowell County near the border of Mingo County. The mining camp of Mohawk was shot up, and according to the local mine guards, the perpetrators were Mingo County strikers, led by Sid Hatfield and Ed Chambers, intending to force the Mohawk miners to unionize. According to Lively's secret testimony leading to Hatfield's indictment, Lively had persuaded miners in his restaurant, as well as Hatfield and Chambers, to do something drastic— he encouraged the miners to arm themselves and shoot up the non-union tipple at Mohawk. Now, explain now, I, to the good people what a tipple is.
1: A tipple is where the, the coal is... When it's processed, it goes to the coal tipple. To,
0: right. So okay, by shooting up the, t- the non-union tipple, they basically really disrupted the operation yeah. of the non-union mine. Yeah.
1: Now, I picture Lively as kind of a weaselly little snitchy guy.
0: Mm, I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, anyway, at this location, the mine guards had a reception committee waiting for them with bloodhounds and machine guns, while Lively made himself busy on the telephone. And again, I'm going to just like step yeah, out of here because yeah. there could be more lead flying, so I'm going to go make a phone I got a phone call to make right here.
0: Excuse me.
1: The union leaders, on the other hand, argued that the shooting was done by McDowell County mine guards and that they were attempting to falsely accuse Hadfield and Chambers of the offense in order to ambush them in McDowell County. At the assurance of the McDowell County Sheriff, W.J. Bill Hatfield, who was a distant relative of Sid Hatfield, Ed Chambers and Sid Hatfield were told that they would be perfectly safe and have the fullest protection of the sheriff's office. However, the day before the shooting at Mohawk, Sheriff Hatfield left the county for Craig Healing Springs in Virginia.
0: Ah, that dirty rat.
1: Both men arrived in Welch on August 1st, 1921, unarmed, and accompanied by their wives.
0: Now, several Baldwin Felt men shot them on the McDowell County courthouse steps, hit in the arm, and three or four times in the chest, Sid Hatfield died instantly. Chambers was shot several more times, and while his wife tried to defend him, he was finished off with a bullet in the head by Charles Lively. So, so Lively
1: hung up the phone.
0: Hmm. None of the Baldwin-Feltz detectives were ever convicted of Hatfield's assassination because they claimed, in spite of the fact that he wasn't armed, they had acted in self-defense.
1: See, Lively lets everything happen, and then he comes out he
0: takes when he's already shot. laying there. Yeah, he takes the glory shot. Yeah,
1: okay. Yeah. Well, to this day, you can still find bullet holes on the sandstone stairs of the courthouse. Wow. Yeah. There was an outpouring of grief for the fallen local heroes at the funeral, which was attended by at least 3,000 people. That's
0: a lot. Yeah.
1: And conducted with full honors from the Odd Fellows, Knights of Pythias, and Redmond. He was a member of all these different organizations. Sid Hatfield was. Yeah, Sid was. The headquarters of the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency was at the Urias Hotel, and that was destroyed in a fire in December 1992.
0: 92 so like 92, not like 32 like yeah no but if you, go, many years if you go if years go
1: visit which this would be a really interesting part of the country to go visit because you got like in Pikeville you got like Hatfield and McCoy like tours and mm-hmm. stuff and this right here there's there's Jenny a lot of Wiley history. has her
0: own state park like yeah. there's all kinds of stuff
1: yeah there's a lot of stuff to see
0: oh yeah now, less than a month after the assassinations, miners from the state gathered in Charleston.
1: Which is the capital of West Virginia.
0: They were even more determined to organize the southern coal fields and began the march to Logan County. Thousands of miners joined them along the way, culminating in what was to become known as the Battle of Blair Mountain. The Matewan Historic District was added to the National Register of Historic Places on April 27th, 1993, and there's a highway off Main Street in Matewan that tells the Matewan Massacre story. It was placed there by the West Virginia Division of Culture, Culture and History, and the marker says, Matewan Massacre. In 1920, area miners went on, to, went on strike to gain recognition of UMWA, which was the-, the Not union. in mine workers. Yep. On May 19th of the same year, 12 Baldwin Feltz agency guards came from Bluefield to evict the miners from company houses. As guards left town, they argued with town police chief Sid Hatfield and Mayor Testerman. Shooting of undetermined origins resulted in the deaths of two coal miners, seven agents, and the mayor. None of the 19 men indicted were convicted.
1: Now, in history and how this has been recorded, the battle was a subject of a 1987 John Sell's film called Matewan. One. Sid Hatfield was featured in Smiling Sid, which was a silent movie that portrayed Sid Hatfield as a hero, and it was shown in the Union mining camps. And
0: that was actually like Sid Hatfield himself. This was not an actor yeah, playing Sid it Hatfield. Was Sid. It was him.
1: Terror of the Tug, which the Tug River is the river that runs through there, mm-hmm. is a 2000 play by Gene Botlow, covers the violent history that occurred directly afterward. The battle features... Um, in Glenn Taylor's 2008 novel, The Ballad of Trenchmouth Taggart, in the book it is Trenchmouth Taggart that shoots Al Feltz and when Feltz draws a gun to shoot Sid Hatfield, Feltz then accidentally shoots Mayor Testerman. Trenchmouth also shoots and kills Lee
0: Feltz. Now if you visit Matewan, you can see the story of the Matewan Massacre on the flood wall that protects the town from the Tug River when it floods. Maitwan had a long history of flooding until the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers built the flood Ooh. wall that was completed in 1997. It also incorporates the Hatfield and McCoy story on the wall as well as a walking path. And you can also visit the Mine Wars Museum to learn more about the story. In the area and town where the battle took place is known as the Maitwan Historic District. So we talk about the Wild Wild West, but there was also a lot of stuff happening in the Wild Wild East.
1: I mean, th- there is... In this part of the country and around the coal mine, there is a long, violent history of people fighting for their rights. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people died trying to fight for the rights to for safer and better working conditions.
0: Yeah, and it's it, it's all over. Ultimately, it boils down to money. It's all over, you know, the, well, coal, the coal company the coal wants company to make money. wanting yeah. to make as much money with, you know, they want to make as much money off of their coal while paying their miners as little as humanly possible. And the
1: miners want
0: and the miners, better pay and yep. safer
1: working conditions. Yeah,
0: which is only fair. So um, even though we should probably try to tell the story slightly more objectively, I will always be 100% on the side of the miners. And... Uh, let it be known also that I have a soft spot in my heart for the Hatfield family for no good reason other than I just think they're cooler than the other families.
1: Well, okay.
0: Anyway, <laughs> I mean,
1: we we got to talk about this for a minute. I mean, you look at we we've, we've talked about Harlan County,
0: mm-hmm.
1: same sort of same sort of circumstances. Mm-hmm. We looked at um, Carbon County in Pennsylvania. Same sort of circumstances with the Molly Maguires and like kind of some organized miners doing some quiet. I, I don't want to say quiet. Yeah, but they weren't. there nothing quiet were, about them. The they, they were organizing. I don't want to say terrorist. I
0: mean, uh, and, and the interesting thing is too, they were, a lot of them were of Irish descent. So I think a lot of this kind of feeds into the Irish stereotype of like kind of the Irishman liking to fight. And, um, you know, there's the the stereotype of an Irishman is that they like to drink and they like to fight. All right. I Mm. think, I mean, that's the stereotype. Yeah, and we have a lot of listeners from Ireland. Whether whether that's true or not, that's the American stereotype of an Irishman. If you're from Ireland, write us. Yeah, let us know. Do you like to drink and fight? Is
1: Kim completely off here or what?
0: Because that's the American stereotype of the Irish is they like to drink, they like to fight. And I would venture to say that these instances are a good part of the reason why, because as if you listen to um, the Pennsylvania episode of Carbon County, like the, the Irish were not, they were looked at very looked down upon. And this was the only work that they could get, but, yeah, but they still know- had their dignity. Like they're not, yeah, you know. but
1: as as we went into this story, now this a little bit later, this is the 20s. Right. But in nothing that I read and you'll get to the sources a little bit later, mm-hmm. in nothing I read was there like the the people weren't facing the prejudice like the Irish miners of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah it, so that I didn't see that happening in this story. And as I recall back in Harlan County, It wasn't there. It was more just, hey, we're all just lumped in. We're minors. We're all brothers in this, and this is how it is. And that's
0: what I wonder, too, is because it's a little bit later, I wonder if some of those Pennsylvania Irish didn't sort of migrate down to Kentucky um, because they weren't welcome in Pennsylvania. So these are the kids and grandkids of the minors that had been mistreated in Pennsylvania, and they kind of just found their way south.
1: Well, I mean, people... Started migrating and moving.
0: Yeah, because the—I mean, there is a, a large That's where bluegrass music comes from. Is I, a lot of it is Irish.
1: Of which we have a whole episode <laughs> yeah, that's on bluegrass a whole other thing.
0: Um, but I mean, that's where the there's a huge Irish population in the bluegrass mountain region. Well,
1: Irish, Welsh, Scottish mm-hmm. people from
0: the island countries, the, the
1: island country, Great Britain, yeah. and those areas. Yeah,
0: those are my people. It's my kinfolk.
1: It's my kinfolk.
0: I'm more Irish than you are. Okay. According to the ancestry tests. Okay. I'm like fifty percent. That's a lot. Alrighty. <laughs> and then French and German. Is that why you
1: always like to fight?
0: That's why I like drinking and fighting. It's that <laughs> Irish blood.
1: All right. Anyway, back to the story here. It's just it, it just still it always just amazes me of the similarities but there's so much personal involvement personal stories that are yeah. that we can bring out with this but it, what amazes me is just the overall theme of how it's the same
0: what do you think do you think uh do you think Sid and Jesse were uh a little on the sly there that's like not, his be- not that's make, like one of his best friends
1: not to make assumptions but it comes down to did did the mayor really tell Jesse that if something happens to you, or tell, tell Sid, if something happens to her, I want you to take care of her. And 12 days later...
0: I mean, that's really... 11
1: fast. days later, they're caught in a hotel. 12 <laughs> days later, they're married. So I... I
0: mean, I the, the, they were like best buddies, like... Sid and the mayor were, were pretty close. They were, they were, well, they were friends. Well, maybe Sid was
1: just hanging around because he liked hanging around Jesse.
0: And so, I, I mean, I can see how, like, you would tell... I can't think of a friend that you would tell this to, but I can see you telling, you know, if you had a friend that lived near us and that you were really close to, just make sure that Kim, you know, gets her grass cut and, like... You know, she doesn't go hungry. (laughs) Just make sure that she's...
1: Sid just took it a step further. He took it
0: way too far. So, yeah. I don't know. I I bet there was something going on.
1: Well, yeah. It's a small town. (laughs) I'm betting. I'm betting.
0: But I also don't... I I wonder if the mayor was perfectly innocent, too. Because there was, from my understanding, some of the stories that you've told me, there's a lot of... uh, It's small town.
1: It's a small town. People
0: know each other. Very intimately well in small towns.
1: Maybe maybe the mayor just didn't get the first shot off at Sid. Maybe so. <laughs> I don't know. But maybe anyway. So. Very interesting story. And as we mentioned, just the history that goes along with this story I find absolutely fascinating.
0: Yeah. And we may cover, I don't know, that we've I feel like we've covered a lot of the coal camp violence. But next, it's a
1: story that needs covered.
0: Yeah. Our next episode is gonna go 180 from this. It's about as as I don't know if it's as far away from this topic as you can get, but we are going firmly into the uh modern era in our next episode.
1: Oh yeah. All right. Anything else we need to discuss with this story?
0: I think that's about it.
1: So if you have any theories about Sid and Jesse.
0: Or anything else. Yeah, just
1: shoot us an email and let us know. Kim, yeah. if they wanted to shoot us an email, oh, shoot is not really a good word for this story. <laughs> if someone wanted to send us an email, where would they send us an email you to can send to talk s- about Jesse and Sid?
0: Or or whatever your little heart desires. If you have ideas for stories, even, um, you can write to us at hour at gmail.com. We're also on all of the socials. Um, your best bet is probably Facebook, which is run by Steve, or Instagram, which is run by me. Um, and you know, tell a buddy, bring a friend to, the best
1: way. Cause Facebook is kind of wonky. The best thing is to send, an, to send email, an email, send an email. Yeah. Cause
0: Facebook both, messages
1: get lost in the sauce right now.
0: Yeah. We both, uh, we both monitor the email account. Uh, one of us more so than the other, but we both monitor the email account and, uh, and we'll see your message and we'll give you a shout out, send you a sticker if you want it.
1: Yep. And we still have a few stickers left. It might be time to order some more.
0: I don't know. I have I don't to check know. our supplies. We have
1: to check. Yeah, they're getting low. So anyway, anything else?
0: I think that's it.
1: All right. So from our studios in Sugar Creek Township.
0: Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. <laughs> Sources for this week include onlyinyourstate.com, Wikipedia, visit historicmatewan.com and Howard B. Lee's Bloodletting in Appalachia.